You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Scripture reading comes from Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the men until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one can recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning, everyone. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless your homes and your families. Uh, We have come now to the second half of the book of Ruth. And I hope that the story so far has been as much an encouragement and a blessing to you as it has been for me. Now, as you remember, chapter one felt really heavy. Right? It was full of sorrow and, and despair. Chapter 2 felt brighter. It was full of favor and hope. Well, today we come to chapter 3, and chapter 3 just feels weird. 
Right, it's full of sneaking around in the dark and there's tension from this big risk that all three uh, characters are complicit in. So today, uh, as we begin, I just want to lead us to look at a risk worth taking. And to help us understand what is going on, I will ask four questions. Why, how, what, and when. All right, why, how, what, and when. So before we get started, I just want to pray for us really quickly. Would that be okay? Father, we come to you, Lord, and uh, even as we read in today's a chapter, a day reading, Lord, it is your spirit. It is your spirit that works in us, Lord. Lord, we desire to know your thoughts. We desire to know what you have to say. But it is your spirit that knows your thoughts. It is your spirit that brings forth your word, Lord. So we ask Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us where we are in our church, uh, in this church hall, Lord, in our homes, uh, wherever we may be, Lord? Help us to hear your word and to discern your thoughts, Lord. We worship you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get started. So uh, the first question we're going to look at, right, is why? And here I want to look at the motivation behind this whole risky endeavor that happens. Now, between Ruth chapters 2 and 3, some time has passed. The closing verse of Ruth chapter 2 tells us, So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So both the barley and the wheat harvest are now over. And these would have lasted for about four to five weeks. So during that time, Ruth has been gleaning almost daily at Boaz's field. But now that the harvest had ended, she was back at home with Naomi. And perhaps as Naomi sees so much of Ruth at home, that the reality of Ruth's situation really begins to sink in. And now Naomi starts to wonder, is Ruth going to be gleaning like a beggar for the rest of her life? And if so, how is Ruth going to survive when there's nothing to glean in between harvests? And then when I die, what's going to happen to Ruth? Will Ruth be left alone, all alone in a foreign land? And so as, as Ruth chapter 3 begins, Naomi voices her desire. Right? She says, my daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, the one thing Naomi wants for Ruth is rest. Now, this was also her prayer even in chapter 1, where she, where she prayed, The Lord grant that you may find rest in the house of your husband. Now, things must have been pretty comfortable for Naomi and Ruth, right? Boaz was providing them with abundant food, with guaranteed safety with elevated status, their lives would have been manageable, at least for the foreseeable future. But even so, Naomi realizes that Ruth's life isn't at rest. There is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of instability. And I think you and I, we, we can relate, right? Right now, for most of us, things are going well, right? The new normal, it's, it's okay, it's manageable. But as we hear the news each day, as each day passes with no end in sight to this pandemic uh, situation, we wonder how long will things cons continue to be okay? 
And will life still be okay one year from now, six months from now? And will my lifestyle have to drastically change within that time? Will I still have my income? Will my salary hold? Will my family be okay? Now that's what Naomi was feeling for Ruth. There was no rest about Ruth's life. And so Naomi's concern for Ruth is what triggers this risky adventure. Now if you think about it, why is Naomi so concerned? Now clearly, Ruth has proven multiple times that she can take care of herself, right? She's tough, she's resilient, she's resourceful. So why not just leave things the way they are? I mean, imagine if they undertook this big risky mission and they lose everything in the process. But what if instead of finding rest for Ruth, Naomi is brought back to a place of despair once again? So why should Naomi put her own well-being at risk for the sake of someone who will very likely be fine, you know, just be okay anyway? But the reason why Naomi is concerned is because she loves Ruth. She really, she really loves Ruth. And this love comes from her covenantal relation with Ruth. This is not a, a commercial kind of I scratch your back, you scratch my back kind of relationship. And you see, covenantal relationship motivates us to take risks for each other. Right, should be coming up. Oh, sorry. Right, so covenantal relationship motivates us to take risks for each other. Now, in a commercial relationship, we only take risks if we stand to gain a lot in return. But in covenantal relationship, we put personal gain aside. Right? Covenantal relationship concerns itself with someone else's problem. Right? Covenantal relationships share uh, in, in the risk for the sake of another. Now, people, do you avoid seeking the good of others when there are risks involved? Do you see conflict and unforgiveness within your family and do you decide to just turn a blind eye to things? Are you aware of a brother or sister in Christ who is drifting away from the faith and have you chosen to do nothing? Do you perhaps have the smartphone that, uh, that the elderly, that, that kind of model that the elderly in our church need in order to get connected with our live stream services? But have you remained silent? People, let's come back to covenantal relationship. Let's be motivated by covenantal love to even go so far as to take risks for one another. So that answers our why question. Now let's come to the second question, the question, how? And here, I want to just explore the plan that Naomi comes up with. So Naomi sees the problem, and Naomi also sees the solution. The best way for Ruth to experience rest is for her to find a husband. So what does Naomi do? She gets to work. She plans she uses her discernment. In verse 2, Naomi discerns an opportunity. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Now Ruth needs a husband. And lo and behold, Boaz seems like a primary candidate. He's an ideal opportunity. Then Naomi also goes on to discern the timing. See, Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. 
tonight, Boaz will be working at the threshing floor and he'll probably be alone. So tonight is the time to make a move. And then in verses 3 to 4, Naomi uses all her human cleverness to come up with the steps to her plan. Firstly, Ruth would prepare herself, you know, have a good shower, put on some perfume. Ruth would be as attractive as possible without compromising her modesty. And then Ruth would then conceal herself with a cloak and sneak into the vicinity of the threshing floor. Now you see, if, if she is spotted, then her reputation and Boaz's reputation would be lost. So once Ruth reaches there very stealthily, Ruth is to stay put until Boaz satisfies himself with food and drink, and then he's happily asleep. Again, Ruth must be extra careful to observe where Boaz falls asleep because there might be other men there. And the worst thing that can happen is that Ruth approaches the wrong men in the middle of the night. So the plan continues. Now, once everybody's asleep, Ruth will then make her way quietly to Boaz. She will fall back his robe to uncover his feet and then she will lie down right there. Now, as Boaz's feet start to freeze in the cold of the night, he will inevitably wake up, he will see Ruth, and then they'll be able to talk. What a plan. But as we think and we hear all these details, one thing seems very clearly missing. Where is God in all this? I mean, does Naomi even pray? about this plan? Doesn't she need God's approval and blessing for such a big, risky plan? And the thing is, Naomi lived in a time where the people of Israel were super dependent on miraculous signs. So when we see Naomi doing this kind of a very unspiritual decision-making, it feels very strange. Imagine with me that you belong to a church that is big on miraculous signs, all right? Every Sunday, you hear a new testimony about how someone has received a miraculous sign from God. And then one day, a fellow church member comes up to you and says, hmm, you know, PSLE is coming to an end soon, huh? So which secondary school has the Lord chosen for your son? Right? I mean, like, wow, uh, you know, you've not really received any vision from God. There's been no audible voice from heaven. There's no directional Bible verse. You know, you, you did pray a little bit, but you still feel kind of normal, right? There's no supernatural peace that comes and floods your heart. And the main reason you are thinking of a particular school is simply because you think it would be a good fit for your son. That's all. There's nothing spiritual about it. Now, imagine how strange this kind of an unspiritual decision-making might feel in an environment that is so loud about miraculous signs. Right? And that's exactly how strange and out of place Naomi's unspiritual decision-making seems. But here's what we can learn. People, you are free to make your decisions. When God created Adam, he gave him a job and then he let him do it. God didn't micromanage. God gave Adam the freedom. And it's the same here with Naomi. She has that freedom to make these important decisions. She is free to use her God-given discernment to identify opportunities, to discern the best timing, 
to leverage whatever resources are available to her and to put a plan together out of love for Ruth. People, in the same way, you and I, we are free to make our decisions. So don't, don't be paralyzed by needing some kind of a divine green light before you can make a decision. Don't over-spiritualize things. Don't require more from yourself than what God expects of you from His Word. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Just Do Something, puts it like this. The only chain God wants us to wear are the chains of righteousness, not the chains of hopeless subjectivism, not the shackles of risk-free living, not the fetters of horoscope decision-making, just the chains befitting a bondservant of Christ Jesus. So die to self, live for Christ, and then do what you want and go where you want for God's glory. You are free. The only thing that binds you is righteousness. If a decision is righteous, if it comes from a place of loyalty to God and not idolatry, then go for it. Make your plans and go for it. Freedom is the answer to our how question. And now this brings us to our third question, the question of what. And here I want to look at the execution of Naomi's plan. So thus far, we have seen the strength of Naomi's covenantal love for Ruth, right? That covenantal love has motivated her. That covenantal love has also led her to make plans for Ruth's sake. But now, it is Ruth whose covenantal love is being tested. Will she trust Naomi's heart? Will she trust Naomi's plan? Or will she trust herself? So this is Ruth's response in verses 5 to 6. And Ruth replied, All that you say, I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Now Ruth is all in, all right? She's 100% in. And her response proves how covenantally loyal she is to Naomi. Ruth agrees to Naomi's plan without any hesitation. And this also tells us that Ruth values elderly Naomi for her wisdom and her experience. Now, people, let this be a reminder right here to honor the elderly among us, especially our parents. We may feel we have the resources to get through life, right, especially with uh, Google and with like the, the gazillion modern life hacks that we have, but there's something special, there's something unique about turning to the wisdom of somebody in your context, somebody 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years older than you and gaining insight and understanding. So like Ruth, honor the elderly around you, not by pitying them, not by being patronizing, but by valuing and seeking out their wisdom and their experience. All right, let's, now at this point, let's just continue with the story. All right, so Ruth does everything that Naomi had instructed her to do. And lo and behold, everything goes according to Naomi's wise plan. At around midnight, Boaz is startled awake by his freezing feet. And as he gets up, he, rece he receives a second shock, right? There's a woman beside him. But right there, as Ruth takes this risk in the dark, what unfolds is one of the most honest, intimate, and sensitive conversations. 
After identifying herself, Ruth immediately states her purpose for being there. She makes this request. Boaz, spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is not a a holy or a spiritual way of saying, "Uh I like you, do you like me? No, it's not about that, right? Because actually, with this request, Ruth throws romance right out of the window altogether. Ruth is humbly, vulnerably, desperately saying, save me. So just as Ruth had taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel, here Ruth was seeking shelter under the protection of Boaz. Now Ruth calls him a redeemer, uh, which is something I'll explain more about next week. But basically, she's reminding Boaz that he has a social and legal obligation to take care of the Elimelech family. His duty is to save Ruth and Naomi by marrying Ruth. Now at this point, it's Boaz's turn to have his covenant loyalty tested. Now, will this be the place where Boaz draws the line? Will marrying a Moabite woman be just too much for Boaz? Will Boaz react to this highly inappropriate rendezvous by ostracizing Ruth and Naomi? But instead, almost immediately, Boaz responds. First, he blesses Ruth. Then he praises her. And then he comforts her, saying, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz accepts her request and he calls her a worthy woman. Uh, For those of you who remember in uh, chapter 2 verse 1, Boaz is himself described as a worthy man. And and we can see like, wow, these, these two people are just made for each other, right? This is like literally a match made. Uh, in heaven, at least through heaven. This is amazing stuff. But let's pause and consider Ruth for a moment. Think about what Ruth, a foreigner, had to go through to present herself to the well-respected Boaz in this kind of a way in the dead of night. Ruth had to die to herself in order to execute Naomi's risky plan. She dies to her pride. She dies to how people might think of her. She dies to her fears upon her fears upon her fears. And she even dies to her own vulnerability. I mean, at no point uh, does Ruth abandon Naomi's plan by saying, "Ah, you know what, I'm I'm just a helpless woman, right? I'm just a nobody. I'm an unwanted foreigner. What can I do, right? I should just give up. No, Ruth dies to that victim mentality. And as Ruth was waiting for Boaz to give his answer, We know she wasn't thinking about how lovely her wedding dress is going to be and things like that. Her mind was on Naomi. She's thinking about how Naomi will benefit if Boaz accepts. And she's thinking about how Naomi will suffer if Boaz rejects. In executing this plan, Ruth completely dies to herself. So people, a plan worth executing is a plan worth dying to ourselves for. You may have a worthwhile plan to disciple your family through family worship, or a worthwhile plan to love the marginalized or, and the forgotten. You might have a worthwhile plan to provide for your parents. Now, all these worthwhile plans are best executed when we die to ourselves. Let's now come to our final question 
the question of when. And here I want to look at the waiting. So at this point, both Ruth and Boaz are all in. All right? They are fully invested into Naomi's plan. But there's a problem. Boaz explains in verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So Boaz is saying, yeah, you know, you know what? I want to help. I am ready to marry you, Ruth, for the sake of Naomi's family. But, but there is actually someone who has the right to redeem you before I do. And I cannot commit until I go through him. So then what's next? Boaz gives a simple instruction. Wait. Boaz will do what, what is necessary in the morning. At the end of the day, either this unknown redeemer will be the one to marry Ruth, and if not, Boaz will be the one to do so. Now, either way, it is kind of a win-win situation for Naomi and Ruth. All Ruth needs to do is wait. And so Boaz, out of concern for Ruth's safety, he tells her to, to lie down until the morning. So now Ruth is lying down. And Boaz is right, lying down. And back at home, Naomi is lying down. But I imagine none of them can fall asleep. Ruth was probably awake wondering how things would go in the morning. She must have been wrestling with the possibility of being with another man and not Boaz. But Ruth can only wait. Boaz was probably awake strategizing his conversation with this other redeemer. Should he do things by the book in an honorable way? Or should he be more cunning so that he can get Ruth? At the end of the day, Boaz can only wait. Poor Naomi has no idea what's going on. She doesn't even know if Ruth has reached Boaz at all. So she must have been tossing and turning and occasionally going outside to see if she can see Ruth coming back home or not. But Naomi can only wait. No one is falling asleep tonight. Now, I think all of us know how that feels like, right? Waiting to receive your results, waiting to hear back on the job application, waiting to hear back from the doctor about some test results. It's an agonizing wait. In times like these, we sometimes think, wow, you know what? I, I'd rather be in despair or to be completely without hope than have to wait like this. Uh, waiting can be unbearably excruciating. But it is in the waiting that God's covenantal relationship with us is tested. You see, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, they have all proven their covenant loyalty to one another. But now it is God's turn. Will God prove himself to be covenantally loyal to his people? And this is the question that we constantly face. At the end of the day, everything is in God's hands. No matter how motivated you are to get something, what really matters is if God is similarly motivated. No matter how free we are to make our plans, the ultimate freedom belongs to God. No matter how much you and I, we die to ourselves, what really matters is whether or not God keeps our dreams alive. And it's in the waiting that you truly realize God is God and I am not. 
But this often makes us miserable, doesn't it? Just this week, someone asked me, Pastor Nan, what's the point of doing anything if God is the one in control? What's the point of reading the Bible, praying and so on if ultimately it is God who changes my heart? Now, I'm sure many of us can relate. And perhaps it is in such times that we wished we had a commercial relationship with God, right? Where we could say to God, God, I, I confess all my sins, okay? And tomorrow, you help me with my exam, okay? God says, deal, right? Or, you know, you say to God, God, I, I do my quiet time every day and you help me become a better person so that more people will like me, okay? Deal. God, I, I give generously. I go to East Timor. I donate all my phones to the elderly in Agape and you help me keep my job, okay? Deal. But God doesn't work like that. And Ruth chapter 3 understands our frustration in having to submit to God's control. The waiting is unbearable. But right at the end of the chapter, when morning has come and Ruth is back home and she's telling Naomi all that has happened, Naomi says something that is like, that feels like soothing ointment to the agony of our waiting. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now, Naomi is clearly talking about Boaz. Boaz is so committed, he's so on that he won't delay. He will settle the marriage issue this very morning. Right? He won't rest. But you know who else doesn't have rest? Ruth. At the beginning of this chapter, Naomi exclaims, Should I not seek rest for you, Ruth, that it may be well with you? Ruth is missing rest. The whole chapter has simply been about Ruth finding that rest. But at the end of the chapter, we find a man, a redeemer, who puts aside his rest to secure rest for Ruth. But there is another redeemer nearer to Ruth than both Boaz and this mysterious man. There is another redeemer who has been showing his hesed love, his covenant loyalty to both Ruth and Naomi, even from chapter 1. There is another Redeemer who has taken notice of the depths of Ruth's needs and has been working tirelessly to meet them. And who is this Redeemer? This is Yahweh, the covenantal God of Ruth. And this is why having a covenantal God is incomparably better than having a commercial kind of God. You see, a commercial kind of God, He just sits back, right? He lets you do what your own thing. And this God only takes action if you initiate, if you ask for help. And only if you are good enough or if you have something good enough to offer Him. But a covenantal God is the God who doesn't rest. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. He takes the initiative. Whether or not you are good enough, whether or not you have something good enough to offer Him, He does not rest until He has settled the matter of our rest. And this is the God of Ruth. This is the God of Israel. And this is the God of the Bible. And so with this covenantal God, there is far more hope for the waiting. In fact, we are never beyond hope. With this covenantal God, there is far more reason to take risks for one another. 
Because God is covenantal, you and I have the freedom to make our decisions. Because God is covenantal, you and I have the security to die to ourselves in order to execute the most worthy of plans. Now, we all know that this has not been a restful time for any of us. There is anxiety, uncertainty, instability. But this does not mean that now is the time for every man to fend for himself, right? That, that's not what we're seeing in today's passage. In fact, it seems like it's precisely in times like these that our covenantal relationships must shine brightly. It's in times like these that we take bigger risks for the sake of one another. It's in times like these that we have to use all our discernment, all our cleverness and ingenuity, all the freedoms available to us to make creative decisions to serve one another. And at our church level, this has already been taking place. I'm sure uh, all of us are aware of the task force that was created uh, to chart a course forward for our church. And out of love, these men and women, they pulled together all their discernment, all their cleverness to put together a plan for us. Now that plan has already been submitted to the leadership and work is already underway to implement it. Uh, for example, the initiative to collect smartphones for the elderly is just one part, one small part of that plan. But very soon, this plan is going to be shared with all of us in its entirety. And this is not just to keep us in the loop, right? It's not just for you to know and to be aware of these things. No, no, what is happening is that we will all have a part to play in executing this plan. Now, I want to tell you this plan, it's a good plan, all right? It's a worthwhile plan for the sake of our church and also for the sake of others who have not heard of Jesus. And so, like what I said earlier, any plan worth executing is a plan worth dying to ourselves for. And so I want to encourage you, even now, even before you hear this plan and you hear about what needs to be done, what is required of us, would you now think about what it means to be in covenantal relationship with one another? What it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you think about your covenantal relationship with God and at the same time, our covenantal relationship with God as one church? Would you think about how God has loved you with an everlasting love? Would you think about how He sent His Son for your sake? And now would you think also about His Son, about Jesus, who gave up the perfect rest of heaven to enter into our restlessness here on the earth? Would you think about the night before He died? how he sweat drops of blood interceding for us unceasingly while all his disciples had fallen asleep and fell asleep around him. Jesus did not rest that entire night. And would you also think about the, the morning after, how he still did not rest, but he got on that cross and settled the matter of our rest for us. And would you think about his restless groanings on the cross, how he endured the unbearably excruciating weight for his death, and how even in the midst of all that, he settled the matter for us with these three momentous words, it is finished. 
people, the book of Hebrews tells us that it was on the cross that Jesus secured an eternal rest for us. But the truth is, more than that, Jesus has himself become our rest. As he said in Matthew 11, so he continues to say today, Come to me, all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, dying to ourselves for the sake of our families, dying to ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, dying to ourselves for the sake of the loss around us, now that is heavy, laborious, difficult work. So would you respond this morning to Jesus' invitation? Would you come to him, draw near to our God, our Redeemer God, for that rest? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.